Hi, this is David Sweet, CEO and founder of Focus Core Japan. And if you were like many of the APAC leaders that I speak to, you're struggling in Japan to find the right talent. You get bombarded with irrelevant resumes or a lack of resumes altogether. I would like to invite you to discover the power of Focus Core's retained search. Let Focus Core help you swiftly secure top tier talent in this candidate short market. I'd like to invite you to shoot me an email and explore how we're different. And with a 100% refundable trial, we can revolutionize your hiring process today. Now, on to our podcast. And you're sitting there drinking Mugi Cha. Yeah, I already finished three cups of coffee already. <laughs> so, I shouldn't drink more. I'll、so、do this afternoon. <laughs> so we're wired. We're ready to go. Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. My name's David Sweet, founder and CEO of Focus Core. Today we welcome Yuta Hasami. Yuta operates in two bases, one in Japan and the other in the UK, as a management consultant that makes the most of diversity, advising businesses and organizations in planning the execution of lectures and training, coaching and for management, as well as promoting women's participation in the workplace and work style reforms.、Uh, Yuta Has an MBA from Waseda Business School. He's a certified coach, director of Jewel Japan. He's the chair of DNI Advisory Board for the Mideto Foundation in the Netherlands, as well as a member of the US Japan Council in US and Japan. So today we're going to be chatting about、uh, how Yuta has. Brought him to the position he's at now.、Uh, we'll talk about obviously attraction of talent, development, and retention of diverse talent.、Uh, we'll talk about、um, how that works in Japan versus globally. We'll talk about how to implement、uh, easy wins in DNI for companies. We'll talk about the most important lessons that Yuta has learned in his career and also about mentors in his life. And we'll also touch upon、uh, Pride Month, which we're this recording we're entering into, and we will be celebrating with a webinar、uh, this month with Yuta.、Uh, this will be the second time I've been. Uh, Co host with Yuta for Pride Month webinar, and、uh, we're very pleased to be working with him and Ikigai Authentic. So, without further ado, I give you Yuta Hasami. Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. I'm happy to welcome Yuta Hasami. I've really enjoyed、uh, 
working with Utah on webinars we've done together. And we have another one coming up for Pride Month 2022, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But before we get started, hello, Utah. Hello, David. Can How are you? you today? I'm doing all right. And it's morning time where you're at in the UK, right? Yes. It's evening there. All right. Yes, yes we're, we're bridging the time gap. Yeah, this is the beauty, like the remote environment, you know, we can work together anywhere, anytime. It's great, right? Well, yeah. before we get uh, too far into it, can you summarize your background and the path that's led you to help organizations in diversity and inclusion, business strategy and implementation? Yes, uh, sure. Um, uh, thank you. Like my name is Yuta Hasumi, and as my managing director of Ikigai Authentic, a global diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. So, um, so our mission is to help uh, building the organizations where everybody is fully ourselves and perform with Ikigai, a Japanese concept of uh, the reason for being living. So I have been dedicating my career for 15 years in a global HR, diversity, equity, and the inclusion field. And so I'm running my own business for the last five years. That's great. Yeah, you've uh, worked at uh, some global companies and, and also yes. now that you're consulting work through um, with some great companies uh, globally, both in Europe and in Japan. Um, so how did you get to this position where you're at now running your own uh, consulting firm? Right. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, so I started my career as kind of diversity and inclusion internal manager at the multinational companies. And then, you know, so I draw. I built the employee resource group. So I implemented the women's development program. Also, I um, addressed the LGBTQ inclusion in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Then um, then after moving to London, um, I, I was thinking what I should do in my career as the next step. Then like, you know, I was thinking uh, probably it would be great to work with as many companies as I want. And so I have lots of inspiring leaders in the in the market, in the industry. So I really want to work with them. So I decided to, you know, run my own business to work with, you know, people I adore. That's awesome. What, what's, uh, what do you find now that you're running your own business for five years? What do you find the big, big shift for you from, going from a mammoth global company into uh, working on your own and in a consultancy? Well, um, the one good thing is flexibility, you yeah. know, um, you know, in the big organization, there are lots of corporate politics and I have to deal with now, you know, I have more flexibility, but I, I have to discipline myself. That's the one mm. thing. So the other thing I'm a little bit missing is you know colleagues you know we i have i have like two colleagues working with me mm -hmm. in the company but just you know uh in the big organization every day you know i was sitting next to my colleagues and so chit chat <laughs> and also work together for the bigger project 
But so I miss sometimes working with people, you know, daily, but just, you know, I'm enjoying my own business. That's great. How much of your business is done in Europe versus Japan? Well, still, you know, that in terms of diversity and inclusion, um, Japan has higher demands. So probably I would say, you know, 70% in Japan and 30% in Europe. Probably uh, 20% in Europe and then 10% in international. Okay. And how do you see, give us some context around how you see DNI in Japan versus how you see it globally. What what's unique about Japan? What's going on globally? That's kind of a two-part big question. That's right. Um so there's something in common and the other thing different. So something in common is that you know all the countries are still um you know working on diversity. Uh, then especially, you know, gender diversity is a global approach, you know, uh, all the country has a different agenda, you know, how to bridge the pay gap, you know, how, how to increase female representation, female representation in the managerial roles, and so board of directors. So, you know, all the companies, you know, all the countries are addressing like the gender equality. Hmm. Um, but so Japan, um, you know, I, I love the term like local, you know, the, the, there's something global and so there's something local. Japan has lots of kind of local um, uh, challenges as well. First, um, as you know, as non-Japanese people uh, living in Japan, you know, Japan is still quite homogeneous country, mm. um, you know. Uh, Non-Japanese, the population of non-Japanese are less than 2% there so quite a um, you know majority of the population are japanese so and um so you know like here you know globally like we are talking discussing about that kind of ethnic diversity and also nationality nationality mm. as well but japan you know when we come up with like female representation and also the global talent we you know we primarily focus on japanese workforce so that's the biggest difference also like japan you know in out of the g7 countries japan is the only country who doesn't recognize same-sex marriage also um compared to other you know uh, european countries um japan has the lowest like female representation in the digital making positions so that's a that's a huge difference that's great. With um, what do you find working in Japan with having a homogeneous nation like Japan? Does that present benefits or hindrances for companies to implement programs and strategy and and their strategies, and then implementing? It seems that you know we have this. Um, I always feel like there's this prejudice with Japan that we we're all, it's a homogeneous nation. So once we get our, once we get our head wrapped around something and we've done all the name of Washi and we got the idea down, we move fast, but it's getting to that point <laughs> that takes it a little bit more time. Uh, do you find that 
you know, now implementing DNI strategy, that that's the case, or how do you see it? It's um, a great question. Um, I, you know, it's also reflecting Japanese culture. You know, Jap Japan is very, very cautious to make decisions, as you mm -hmm. know. You know, it takes forever to make decisions because um, you know they. You know, decision is made on the consensus basis, but you know also because of the home, you know, uh, homogeneous culture. You know, once we are, once we are committed to the decision, um, so uh, it moves much faster than um, kind of uh, more diverse and so complex uh, countries. Mm. So that's. That is uh, the benefit of some of them, uh, the benefit of the homogeneous culture hmm. in Japan. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. It's, um, it, it is a conservative. We live in a conservative country, and that's, um, and that has good points and bad points. And I think the good point is that we do change slowly, but we're because we're cautious, we get to watch. Other countries make mistakes. Mm. Um, with that, though, we can often make serious blunders falling behind. Uh, a couple of the things that I wrote down that I wanted to, from what you were speaking about, was uh, one of them was women in the workplace. Mm. And uh, just we live in a, a market that is just short of hiring talent. And we're letting half of our uh, nation go to waste in some ways uh, with not being able to be more flexible. The good thing about COVID is we've proven that we can have a flexible workplace. Right? Yeah, that's right. What, uh, how do you see in Japan for women in the workplace? You mentioned that that's a, quite a challenge still. Talk around that a little bit. Yes. Um... Uh, do you know the like Josei Katsuyak Sushin Ho uh, addressed in 2016 mm. uh, Women's uh, Empowerment Act in the workplace? Mm. So you know the most the bigger companies are required to set the numerical target for uh, kind of gender diversity. So many of the companies in 2016 at that time. Uh, uh, built the five-year strategy and as a target towards 2020. So mm. last year, 2021 is the year for the most of the companies to assess. You know, the previous five years, you know, they have achieved the numerical target or they are falling behind. So, you know, the many companies, uh, you know, all of the companies has made a progress. However, you know, now it's a time for us to build another five-year target towards uh, 2025. So, you know, some companies are setting the numerical targets for the female representation in the managerial roles. And so other uh, companies are more focused on uh, like bridging the pay gap, you know, mm. when they hire, you know, both male talent and female talent for the new roles. And also, you know, when they promote the persons, I, you know, try to, try to uh, 
minimize the pay gap for the same same role. Mm. And where are we as far as the, the gender gap? Do you think five years later, how is Japan doing? I want to be optimistic, <laughs> but just uh, I, I I would say like should make the progress because last five years, you know, there's still a long way to go, but. We in Japan has made a big change because, hmm. um, you know, five years ago, less than thirty percent of the company ha- had been addressing diversity initiatives. But now, according to Keidanren, you know, fifty percent of the companies have you know diversity strategy and goals. So you know, many companies are more and more aware of the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. That's great. I was gonna. I think you've already touched on some of it. I was gonna ask you for, you know, especially. I'm coming from a small company. There's a lot of SMEs in Tokyo, and how they can help bridge the gap, uh, gender gap, diversity gap, and be more inclusive. Um, what, from your point of view, can SMEs do? Because they, you know, they don't have the big goals that uh, the Fortune 500 companies do, uh, mm-hmm. but still want to make an impact. What do you think that uh, the SMEs can do better within the market? That's a great question, and also I want to say, you know, the SME organizations can be more flexible because mm-hmm. you know, the, for bigger companies. When we try to make decisions or set the numerical targets, you know, we have to kind of assess the organizations and also going through all the politics and also decision making phases. Then like, it takes time, and also, you know, we we need a bigger budget. But on this, the smaller organizations um can, you know, can make a change dramatically. Um, for example, uh, one of my clients, uh, their uh, hair salon. So you know, it's it's one of like SME companies, but uh, they uh, built themselves, they branded themselves as diversity hair salon. Mm-hmm. So you know, they changed the the price list. You know, they used to have the different prices for you know men and women, and but just you know, it's they find it themselves it's not inclusive. You know, still, um, you know, when we go to the hair salon, you know, many of many of them already have the price, already still have the list, uh, the price for women, price for men, but they, you know, they change the term to, you know, the price for longer hair, price for short short hair, and so they train themselves, they train their staff uh, for the inclusive language, so they they attract more and more like LGBTQ, especially transgender customers as well, mm. you know, because, you know, they, they don't say to the customers, Hey, you know, do you want to be feminine or do you know, do you want to be girly or do you want to be masculine? So, you know, they always respect, you know, the customer's privacy as well as, you know, they respect the, what they want. And so then, you know, they are quite recognized as diverse, you know, diversity, uh, diverse and inclusive hair salon, and also you know they 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 come back to me. Uh, they say, yeah, you know they're 
more and more like LGBTQ customers as they are quite open about it. And so they're, you know, coming all the way from, you know, other prefectures. And so they chose us as because, you know, we are exclusive. So, you know, I was so happy to hear about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going, uh, going back to the answers, I think, you know, it's really great to start for the SME companies, um, you know, branding themselves as a you know diversity diversity employer quickly to you know make a make a difference in the industry hmm. that's great i think uh a big takeaway for me is just the the inclusivity of language hmm. it's just an easy one that uh most companies can it doesn't cost anything it's just a very uh, it's a gentle uh mindset Yes, uh, and it very it shifts uh, away. Um, I don't know a lot about hair salons, as you can probably guess, but uh, being, <laughs> being follically challenged, I, I'll just uh, take your word for that one. Yeah. Also, <laughs> the probably you know when you are talking to your client, like exchanging emails, you know many people start using pronouns in the signature, you know which mm. pronouns, like gender pronouns, we want other people to use, like him, her, yeah, sorry, him, his, his, and also her, 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 she, her. Yeah, so, and so they, they're them. So that's also one of the inclusive language. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, one of the things, my world's all about recruitment um, and doing a lot around not only attracting talent, but also around developing and retaining talent. What are your thoughts as a, as a consultant that companies can do to attract um, talent, especially around DNI, because we're, we're Japan's in a labor short market, right? And what can companies do to help attract that talent as well as, you know, develop and retain their staff? I think the inclusion is the key because, you know, now, as you know, like many companies are quite desperate about attracting, you know, diverse talent, such as women, global talent, young Mm. professionals, uh, people with neurodiversity. So, you know, the market is very, very competitive. So, but just, you know, according to the Glassdoor, like, you know, 65% of the candidates consider their, consider the com- in the company, the workforce is diverse and inclusive before accepting accepting offer. So you know there are quite you know there are lots of information around the companies online. So they search and also find uh, you know the company you know they are applying for is diverse and inclusive. Even though you know they are they are diverse, you know if they find out you know they have like high turnover, there's something. So that's why, you know, uh, for the company, it is important to um, make sure, you know, they have the kind of, they respect the the diversity of their talent and also like, you know, they are included, respected, valued. Mm, That's great. A couple of, uh, you got me thinking about a couple of scenarios and how how do we handle these? So I have one client, German company, and they wanted to hire a, a sales director. Mm. Um, and Germany said it had to be a woman. Mm. 
but because of the industry this company was in, there just isn't uh, the pool of talent in Japan at that time. And we were talking about five years ago. There wasn't this pool of talent because a lot of women who were doing sales would either leave this wholesale. And so there wasn't that many sales director potential women in retail. Um, and they'd already moved into marketing, but the company said that absolutely had to come from this chain of events. And it just really hindered the company um, to hire because they were just dead set that this position had to be a, a senior leadership position and it had to be this one was going to be a woman. And in Japan, they didn't understand that there wasn't the pool of talent there. How, I guess there's a two-part question here is how, how do we handle that in Japan? And if it is really hindering the Japan, how would we explain that to our Jap and our APAC or counterparts that this is probably this absolute idea is not going to work? For example, I mean, I've had it with companies that were setting up in Japan said, we want to hire all of our staff. We want to, you know, 30 year old, very dynamic. And we want a CFO that's 35. We've done it in every other country. Well, in Japan, it's very difficult because young people still don't have that the skill set and opportunity to develop those skill sets. And the company went nine months before they ended up hiring someone in their 50s. And, uh, and, and then they went bankrupt because they didn't have an accountant for so long. So, uh, no. so how, I guess, how do you, exp one, how do you do the hiring? Uh, when you have that absolute uh, mandate by home office. And then if you're trying to convince not to do that, how do you convince, what What would you say to APAC that would help them understand the Japan unique situation? Um, it's very difficult. But like, you know, like it was, you said it was five years ago. Well, I really, you know, I really respect that company because I, I know David, you're the perfect person to consult with. And so you must answer really, really well that question. <laughs> but I, I, I would say, you know, it's very difficult, but uh, I think it's also, uh, it's also worth trying because first, you know, it's really important to, to, you know, try the best to find the the right talent in Japan. Mm. Of course, uh, you know everybody knows. You know, it's very very difficult. Some it, depending on the industry, it's almost impossible to find the female sales directors in the in the market. Mm. But you know, we can still try. And also, um, if you know, we want to hire the women for that role, you know, it might not have to be Japanese neither. So, hmm. you know, there are lots of, uh, you know, um, lots of like uh, successful uh, female directors in Asia Pacific as well. You know, I know some, some kind of, <clears throat> some Chinese and also Indian like di female directors, you know, in the sales field. So, you know, depending on job description as to what's the 
what role is required, but just, you know, we still could hire someone outside of Japan. Mm. That's also, you know, stimulating diversity and inclusivity in Japan offices, in Japan office of the multinational companies. Uh, also, you know, I, so when I was working for the company, I addressed the women's development program. The other time, like the one of the, one of the initiative is the reverse mentoring program between like, you know, male managers and also female candidates, hmm. uh, female participants, I meant. Um, the time, you know, the most of like ma- many of male managers had quite aha moment by interacting and so mentoring with, you know, their female mentees because, you know, they have never experienced before. Then they said, wow, you know, they, even like they were empowered, they, you know, they were mentor, they were mentors, but they were empowered. They're inspired by the, their female mentees, you know, like if, you know, it was trying to have like a new person, like a, someone, you know, who never hired before that is also kind of changing the organizations and the culture. Mm, that's great. I like, uh, I like how you've uh, moved that from even just outside of gender, but then looking uh, across international lines that uh, we can open that up, which would help Japan a lot as well. I think. Yeah. But, uh, so one of the things that uh, I found uh, mentoring a lot of young people um, mm. is they would love to move into careers where they're helping in DNI, where they're doing things in um, helping companies. They're very altruistic, uh, what they want to do. And there's a shortage of, it seems to be a, a shortage of positions in that realm in japan but a lot of young people really want to to get into that uh arena what's what's kind of some things that you would recommend for people to get into you know a dni place within a company how did how does that come about for them well i think i you know sometimes i mentor the young professionals as well and so you know you're right you know many of them are, are quite passionate about diversity and inclusion so i always recommend you know them in to start uh, getting involved with like their uh, the getting involved with uh, dni initiatives in their companies for, exa- for example, you know, they might they might have like DNI representatives in the companies, so they don't have any other open positions, kind of full-time open positions. But many companies have the init- initiatives such as um employee resource groups, mm. for example, like you know, for like women's network and also like a disability network, you know, LGBTQ and ally group. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, you know, they are always looking for volunteers to, you know, run the internal internal employee resource group. It's just time, you know, it's a really great start for them to, you know, understand why diversity and inclusion matters to business rather mm-hmm. than kind of nice to have or like social agenda. Then, you know, the people can people can develop their DEI 
DNI expertise in the business field, then you know eventually they can find um you know open roles or like the more the role with more bigger kind of DNI requirement. Then I think like it's a great start and also shift to the eventually the full time DNI roles. Mm. I've uh, had a couple of friends that, that did that. They just volunteered and got very involved. And then pretty soon they're uh, running programs within the company and, and leading APAC uh, from Japan, which is just awesome uh, when those those stories uh, happen. Who, who's, uh, Yuta-san, who's, your, who's been your most important professional mentor? Um, I have lots of mentors. And so... Uh, I'm very, very fortunate. But one of the person I would like to mention is uh, Janelle, uh, my Japanese-American mentor. So, um, you know, so we met through like DNI network in Japan. So she is a role model for, you know, many people. And so I always, always appreciate kind of bicultural backgrounds like her and you. Like, you know, sometimes it's hurt for me to resonate myself with someone too far and a sky high or like from like completely different background, kind mm. of cultural background, but you know, so someone who have, you know, bicultural understanding as a background like you, um, you know, I always learn, you know, it's not too far. And so I always learn something, for example, you know, I started my career in the American organization. So I have to be a good presenter. (laughs) So, you know, almost like TED Talker, but just, um, you know, that's not, I I was not naturally, you know, good good at making presentations, especially in English, you know, my second language. Yeah. So that time, you know, the, my Japanese Americans and so the other, you know, non-Japanese mentors living in Japan uh, gave me lots of advice, you know, how as Japanese people, you know, can be you know better presenters in the kind of global environment. So, I, you know, I I wanted to mention like you know my you know her and also someone, you know, someone with like like the multicultural like a bicultural background. That's great. Sounds like uh, one of the things just being that uh, empathetic to different cultures and understanding and, and taking time to, to learn about other people is just so important, especially our, our days move so fast at, at Twitter speed. And it's just, just to sit down and have a coffee with someone. Uh, it just helps to understand what's going on in someone's mind. We never know what's going on with, with people until we really start to chat and listen to, to how they're doing. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, funny, uh, when I went back to Japan last time, you know, I I was lucky to meet you as well. And also many of the persons I met, you know, uh, non-Japanese, I, I didn't realize before, but I have so many kind of multicultural and some non-Japanese friends, even living in Japan. So then, then I also realized, you know, I was so fascinated by, you know, people like them, people like you, you know, them, you know, I learned a lot. And so now that's why, you know, that's why, you know, I 
I, I am more comfortable and so confident living abroad. Mm. We always talk about uh, the challenges with COVID, but there's been some wonderful things. We've got to do webinars together. Uh, yes. And before we ever actually met face to face, and uh, you've, you've proven that you're a very good, good uh, speaker. And here's a, a commercial that if uh, anybody has not gone to uh, the Focus Core website and watched the webinars that we've had in the past, they're exceptional. There's some, we've got uh, four of them, I think, um, in both Japanese and English uh, from last year. And we have another one coming up uh, this month, next month, uh, be this month when this comes out. Um, and so it's just, it's so important uh, that people really take this opportunity to reach out across across uh, nations and, and get to know each other, but then also uh, get to learn more about what's going on uh, with mm. other people. It's been, it's Definitely. been fun. But uh, here's a strange question for you, Tassan. What's uh, if you're going to do another occupation besides uh, your own, what would you do? Um, I would say I want to get involved with uh, performing arts. <laughs> really doing what? Yeah. Like, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I love going to theater. So, um, you know, I I don't see myself act, acting, but just, you know, I, <laughs> I want to play the music, you know, I want to be kind of part of like a, the producing, the kind of shows and also the kind of ballet and so as a play. Yeah. You know, that's my dream job. <laughs> nice. Well, it's a, uh... It's a nice thing about being in London, and now that the theaters are, are back open again, a uh, wonderful theater uh, happens in your neck of the woods, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> I go every month. Well, let's uh, let's before we we leave today, let's circle back and you know, let's. Uh, I like to leave people with uh, listeners with an omiyage. Um, mm-hmm. What would be something that you know companies? in Tokyo or anybody listening globally can implement into their world that would really help uh, their company in, in a DI realm? Um, this is a great question. Um, if I may, I would suggest um, there first assemble a DNI internal DNI committed with executive sponsors, you know, I also got a, a questions like, hey, you know, where we can start? Mm. Then like, you know, many people think, you know, there, there are nobody in the organization who are passionate about um, diversity. Uh, that is not true. So, you know, there are some, especially like, you know, in some, some people in the, senior leadership roles, you know, they are passionate about, you know, they are cons- caring about like diverse diversity and inclusion. So I think it's important to find, you know, some, someone, you know, with influence and authority in the organization who are kind of waving flags. So, mm-hmm. so find the executive sponsors for like DNI initiatives and also the structure DNI committees you know, we we can start small, and also then like more like the 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 create the opportunities to chat and discuss about DNI 
on a regular basis, then you know, uh, we, so uh, we can uh, we can make um, we can make kind of opportunities to uh, raise awareness of like DNI in the organizations and also structure DNI strategy and also workshop and also event. So that I think is easy start. Mm. I think that's huge. I, again, coming coming from uh, recruitment and and companies complaining that there's not enough talent in the market. If they're not sitting down with their staff and questioning how to diversify and include more people within their organization, they will go. They're losing money. Yeah. It's 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 just good business at the end of the day. Um, yeah, definitely. Also, I I think you know. Um, so I'm also speaking to myself, but just you know, people try to make huge social impact by doing DNI from the beginning, but uh, this is this is very difficult. Hmm. So you know, I always think you know we can change change we can change like diversity and inclusion, like step by step. So also like it's important to um, align you know, diversity with uh, business objectives rather than kind of social mm. agenda. Of course, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, that DNI is a social agenda, but just, you know, we can more talk about why diversity and the inclusion matters to the organization in terms mm. of talent, in terms of business, in terms of branding. That's great. Yeah, I mean, hands down, it's the right thing to do. That's that's yeah. a, that's an easy argument, right? But yes. I, yeah, just to highlight what you said, when you're running a business, it makes commercial sense. Mm. There is a commercial aspect to it, and. You know, running a, a business in Tokyo with a wonderfully diverse group of people, it's it, the ideas that come from that. The, the people that I can attract because we don't discriminate makes it so much easier. Mm -hmm. And so we have more choice and we have more ideas and thoughts flowing through our organization. And it's it's a powerful stuff. I mean, I coming uh, from as an ally, coming from a, a privileged uh, place, um, it's I lose out on so much intelligence of young people, people from other countries, people of diverse nationalities and, and beliefs. And it's just amazing how much greater and richer my life is and our company is because of that mm -hmm. and it makes money yeah. by the way <laughs> definitely and so you know if companies are looking for the diverse and the best talent yeah i would recommend them to go to focus core <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you I'll, I'll i'll take that but uh yeah that's good but uh and uh is there anything that i should ask you that i didn't know enough to ask <laughs> That's the most difficult question. It is. <laughs> um, I I wanted to um, I wanted to mention again, you know, that I 
I'm so delighted that on you know Fukuoka and Ikigai Authentic are co-hosting their event the, uh, this month in June for celebrating Pride Month 2022. So I just you know love people to you know join the webinar. Please join us and so let's celebrate together. And there will be a link in the show notes、uh, to that, so they can register there. And if people want to get in touch with you, Yuta, and find out more about what Ikigai Authentic does and how you can assist their business, where do they need to go to find you? Uh, uh, please, um, please uh, visit our website. You know, ikigaiauthentic dot com, and also, if possible, like.、Uh, It would be great to have my email address in the、uh, podcast as well. We'll put everything out there for、uh, people to follow up on. Yeah, well, thank you、cool. so much, Yutasan, for for sharing your morning with us.、Um, I, I always insightful, and、uh, I appreciate、uh, all that you're doing and、uh, continue partnering together. I enjoy this. Yeah, definitely, it's my pleasure always working and so chatting with you, Davison. 